Let's pray together. Father in heaven, nothing compares to the promise that we have in you. You are a hope for the new year. You're the one that we have confidence in, and we look to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take a moment to stand together and greet some folks around us. Oh, I always love the greeting time. Some of you greet two people and sit down, and that's good. And some of you, I, you know, I'd never get to preach. You just go on and on and on. That's good. Well, so good to see all of you. How, how, many, how was your Christmas? Anybody have a, on a scale of 1 to 10, anybody have a 10? Hey, there's a few 10s out there. Anybody have a 1? Nobody's going to admit that. Maybe there's some threes or seven. Well, I think most of us are somewhere like, oh, I had a six or a seven or something. You know, I, I should have warned you, uh, you know, Christmas is always uh, the season of unfulfilled expectations. I mean, it's not only Sam not getting, you know, the stormtrooper uniform that he wants every year for Christmas. Would you have worn it if you got it? <laughs> I, I was afraid of that. Hence the reason he never gets that for Christmas. Uh, we eat too much. We get stressed with too much to do. Some of us get sick or get fever blisters anyway. Uh, some get irritable, and then you throw in cranky, demanding relatives. You know who you are. And unhappy children. And then it's always, a, 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 you know, it's always laden with a lot of emotion, I think, this time of the year, because there's supposed to be all this love and joy and all this stuff, and there's the loss of loved ones and the loss of health and the loss of jobs and all that. What happened at the end of the real Christmas story? Did you ever think about that? What happened? You know, we know what happened on Christmas Eve. We talk about that, and we tell the Christmas story and have the nativity. Well, this is what it says at the end of Luke's story, Luke chapter 2. When they'd seen him, they spread the word concerning what they'd been told. This is talking about the shepherds. Told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So this is kind of the end of the story that we have in Luke chapter 2. And, and the shepherds are sharing the good news, and they leave, and they're happy. They're glorifying and praising God. I mean, you've got to think about this. They had a vision there with these angels out on the hillside. I mean, you know, if you have an experience like that, you know, that's going to shape your life. Pretty good. Mary is a little more pensive thoughtful. She's treasuring up these things and pondering them because of the implications of that she's going to have this Savior who's going, remember what the angel said, his name will be Jesus and he will save his people from their sins. And so she's, she's pondering all these things. What's interesting to me is it says that Bethlehem, the people around there, they were amazed but not changed. They were amazed, but not changed. Now, it doesn't say that in the text. It just says they were amazed. But they weren't changed because, you know how I know, because 30 years later when Jesus pops on the scene with his public ministry, where were they? Why weren't they all in on his ministry? And by and large, they weren't. So, you know, it's one thing to be amazed about the Christmas story, and it's another thing for it to change our lives. And for us to be moving on. And I guess, you know, I always think about it the first of the year. Do, you know, do I love Jesus like I used to love Jesus? Does he, does he grip my heart like he used to grip my heart? And it's, it, it's, I think it's a healthy kind of self-examination 
that we need. Well, every year at Candlelight, and Candlelight's my favorite service of the year, and probably some of you would say the same, we always pass the light at the end, and we talk about the idea that we're supposed to be a light to the world. So I think it's appropriate. Our text today is Matthew 5. Matthew chapter 5. And I'm going to read from the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is talking about us being a salt and light community. And I'm going to read the first 16 verses. Matthew chapter 5. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when, men, when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you, because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before me, before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a lampstand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds, and praise your Father in heaven. May God bless the reading of this as on holy, inspired word. Well, this is what we call the Sermon on the Mount. It's one of the, one of the long public discourses made by Jesus, and I think it's one of the, the meatiest ones and in, in things that we can take and apply to our lives, lots of things about how we should be living. I, I took the time to read the first 12 verses of the Beatitudes because they're, for some of you today, they're a real comfort, that those who mourn will be comforted. Um, blessed are those who are persecuted, for they uh, will know the presence of God and the power of God in their lives. Um, we're in good company. We're, we, we're hanging with the followers of Jesus who went before us like the prophets. Um, it also describes, I think, what the character of our lives should be. When, when I read the Beatitudes, I think these are behaviors and actions uh, that are flowing out of the character of our life. You know, our character is who we are in the dark. Our character is who we are when no one else is watching. And, and when our character is shaped by the Spirit of God within us, it's going to overflow, and it's going to overflow in salt and light. Let me tell you where I'm going to go today. Let me tell you three results that I think have happened if you and I become the community of salt and light that God has called us to be. I think this, number one, this is the way we will come to live blessed lives. We will please God, and we will find true fulfillment. We will find true fulfillment. And I want to tell you, I believe that's a quest that we're all on. I, I watched a, um, a Simon Sinek um, video last week. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Uh, he's done a TED talk or two and maybe several of those, but he did one on millennials. And so those of you who have millennials, if you're an employer and you have millennials working for you, you would do well to look up, to look up on YouTube Simon Sinek. He's going to tell you what, 
what millennials are, are looking for in a workplace. And one of the things he says is they're looking for significance and purpose. And I went, wait a minute. I think there's a whole lot of us that's looking for purpose and significance in what we do. I mean, I, I hope we are. I hope that we're not just, well, I'm going to work today and I'm just going to put in my hours. No, I think we're looking to do something meaningful. Well, I think the salt and light community is about us having purpose and meaning in life. Second, I think this is the way we serve the world. I think Jesus calls people to come and to lay down their life. Jesus calls us to come and die. And part of the way that we die to self is by laying down our life for other people and serving the world. And salt and light is about serving the world. And the third thing that's going to happen out of, if we get this right, is that this is the way that God will be glorified. That is the verse 16 in our text today. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise or glorify your Father in heaven. So, so I'm, I'm kind of telling you where I'm going. I think the end result is that we're going to live blessed lives. We're going to serve other people, and God's going to be glorified when we get the salt and light thing right. So, that's the, the kind of influence that we're to have in the world. So, let's, let's jump in this. Jesus, as, as He teaches, uh, oftentimes, He uses metaphors that are very, very common and, and familiar to people. Jesus was such a practical teacher. You know, you didn't have, you say, salt, they said, man, salt, what is this salt stuff? Yeah, everybody, there's salt in everybody's house. Everybody has salt in their house. What's this light? Well, everybody has light. Everybody knows what light is. He used things that everybody could understand. You know, it's not like speaking in code language here, you know, and, and, and it always bothers me when people take the Bible and they count up how many letters are in the Greek words and they try to get something into some kind of meaning out of seven and, you know, whatever, and, and they twist these things around. It always bothers me. Now, Jesus was a very good teacher. When he talked, people understood what he was talking about. They didn't say, man, I couldn't understand that. That was way over my head. He talks about salt. He talks about light. Now, wait a minute. There's a disclaimer. When I get to Revelation, I'm telling you, that's, that's tricky stuff. I don't, I, I'm not here to tell you. Anybody tells you, I understand everything in the book of Revelation. I can tell you exactly what everything means. I'll tell you what, run when they tell you that because they're going to sell you some other stuff too. But most of the time when you're looking at the teachings of Jesus here, he talks about shepherds, he talks about sheep, he talks about kings and servants, and he talks about things that people understand. And he's talking to us today about salt and light, and we understand it. Um, and I want a great quote from Helmut Felix. He said this, Salt and light have one thing in common. They give and expend themselves. And thus are the opposite of any and every kind of self-centered religiosity. End of quote. That's a great quote. You know, true Christianity, true following of Christ is always about not being self-centered. It's the opposite of that. It's being outward focused. It's loving God and loving man. It's always that outward focus. When we're getting it right, when we're really humming along in our spiritual lives, we're living this way. We're not living self-centered. So let's jump in. Salt of the earth. He says, you are the salt of the earth. Salt, I, I was reading the background of this. Sometimes Roman soldiers got paid in salt. It was a valuable commodity. And, and that's where they get the phrase that somebody's not worth their salt. They're not worth their salt. They're not worth their pay. 
Um, in the Old Testament, in Second Chronicles 13, 5, it talks about a salt covenant. It was a, a precious commodity, and so they would seal the covenant with either eating salt or giving salt uh, back in the day. What does it mean for us to be the salt of the earth? Well, I think one is we're to be a seasoning. Uh, salt is to be a sneeze. S salt is distinctive. If, if, if it's not different, it wouldn't add flavor to food. You know, if you're cooking a dish and you forget to put the salt in, let's say uh, mashed potatoes. I tell you, potatoes really need salt. If you have potatoes without salt, you forget to put the salt in, you know it right away. It is, it is blander than bland, okay? You know, you say, oh man, where's the salt? Job 6.6 6 says, can that which is tasteless be eaten without salt? And the answer is no. Salt is distinctive. It is a seasoning. And if we are followers of Jesus Christ, there should be a different flavor to us. Uh, one of the books on the Sermon on the Mount is, uh, is called um, Counter-Cultural Christianity. Um, and that's a theme that you see through here is he says, this is what you've been told, this is what the world does, you should do it this way. We should be salt in our culture today. We should be different than other people. You say, well, you've got to fit in. Well, uh, again, and I'm going to say this again later, I don't like it when Christians are different to the point of they're trying to be obnoxious. But the, different, the differentness about us should be a good thing. It should be a positive thing that we're different. Um, and it says in the text, if, if, we don't, if we don't taste any different than everybody else, if we are just like everybody else, it says here, throw us out. Throw the salt out. It's no good. And, and we're going to be no good. So salt is a, a seasoning. Second, it's a preservative. Now, let me take a let me look at the macro picture here. God has placed restraints in this world to preserve it. He's, he's placed the restraint of government. He, he's placed the restraint of the family, the church. Those are all restraints in our culture today for good. And he has placed the restraint, I believe, of the individual righteous man or woman who will stand up for God. I mean, you think about Noah. Noah, there was one righteous man on the earth. God saved humanity for the sake of one righteous man Noah. Not Noah the movie in Hollywood. Okay, Noah in the Bible. All right? Hollywood. Anyway. Uh, you think about Abraham. You think about Job. You think about godly people. You think about Ruth. People who stood up for God. One individual that made a difference. And so I think we, we say, well, you know, I'm only one person I can't make. No, you make a difference. You make a difference in your family. You make a difference in your circle of influence. Colossians 4, 6 says this. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. That's interesting, isn't it? So that you may know how to answer everyone. Seasoned with salt. What in the world is that talking about? Well, the parallel passage of this in, in Ephesians chapter 4, 29 says, let no corrupt speech proceed from your mouth. So in this context, it's talking about the way that we speak, the way that we communicate to other people. Our, our saltiness is communicated to other people and not being a corrupting influence, but being a positive influence. 
so that we may know how to answer anyone. And so that speech is full of grace, but it's also full of truth. Jesus, it says in John 1, was full of grace and truth. We need to be full of grace and truth. Our speech should be full of grace and truth. There's, there's always that balance. And you go to one extreme, another, you leave the truth out, you're just gracious, then, then, then everything goes. And you have the truth, you can take that and make that into a hammer and hurt other people with it. That's not right either. So that's the tension for us. So Mark 9.50, salt all through the Bible. Mark 9.50 says, have salt in yourself, which speaks to our character and our commitment and our Christ-likeness just as salt, and all we do brings it saltiness. So this means at home, at work, at school, in our hobbies, there should be something different about us. We should retain our Christ-likeness 24-7, which brings me to the point, are some, are some Christians useless? And my answer to that is, if they've lost their salt, yes. Yes, if there's nothing different about them, you know, if there's only no difference in you than your neighbors, if the only difference in you and your neighbors is you get dressed on Sunday morning and come to church and drive back home, if that's the only difference in your life, I've just got to tell you, you've lost your saltiness. That's not what God intended. That's, that's not what we should be. And God uses this. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, The glory of the gospel is that when the church is absolutely different from the world, she invariably attracts it. It is then that the world is made to listen to her message, though it may hate it at first. It may hate it at first, you know. I, you know, I, I think of a family that's in our church now, and they both have found the Lord, and they told me about the first time they came here, and they heard the gospel message, and they hated it. And they hated me <laughs> for communicating it. And, and, and they came back a year later and confessed that to me. And they'd given their lives to the Lord. And they said, Pastor, we have to tell you, at first we hated the message. You know, the gospel, again, the, the gospel calls people to surrender. I'm not going to water that down. I can't. God calls us to be all in. As I look across there, I've, some of you have come to me and, and you've said, I'm not all in. I want to be all in for God. Because you came to the realization that you can't, just, you can't just slide along and play church. You can't just slide along and kind of wing it. No. So we're salt of the earth. Second, we're the light of the world. We're the light of the world. Nature of light is, is to communicate. It's to, it's to illumine. It's coupled with salt. If salt is, is this distinctive, seasoning, preservative, powerful influence, it, also, it has to have some light to it. It has to have a clear message. It's not enough for people to say to you, you know, I, I, there's something different about you. I kind of, I've kind of tasted it, but I don't know what it is. We've got to communicate the truth and say, well, you can't say, well, I'm just a good person, I guess. <laughs> you know, that's not good enough. We, we need to give them a reason for the difference in us. And that's the light. That's communicating the light. And, and the picture Jesus uses here, he said, a city, on, you know, city up on a hill, you, it can't be hid. It's like, you know, I, I always, when I'm coming up, Coming up the turnpike from Wichita, and I get out there on that hill. You ever do that when you're coming back at night, and you look, and there's Emporia. I'm like, man, look at all those lights. You can't hide it. And we're not on much of a hill here. If you're on a hill, you really could 
You couldn't hide us. You can't hide, you can't hide the light. And he goes on to say, you, you don't take a candle and you light it and you put it up under a basket. Why would, why would, why would you do that? Unless you want to burn the basket up. <laughs> And kids take flashlights and they get up under the cover when they're supposed to be in bed and they're reading or whatever, but on their phones. Shame on you, don't do that. The danger is that of salt being tasteless and the danger here is of our light being hidden. And so as I'm thinking about the new year, I'm just, I'm just thinking about us launching into this new year. Well, the vision that, you know, I, I have the opportunity, the challenge, whatever Tina, whatever Ashley said at the beginning there, to, I have this opportunity to be salt and light in the new year. Um, light's all through the Bible. John the Baptist was not the light, but he came to bear witness of the light. So I want to leave you with an image, and it's based on Philippians 2, 15 and 16, where it says this. So that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and perverse generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. And I hear people all the time talking about, you know, the world is just on this great downward spiral and everything's getting worse and worse. And maybe that's true, but, you know, I mean, this is written 2,000 years ago. He talks about a crooked and perverse generation. And, and maybe that's it. But what, what, what? What did he say to them? And it's the same to us. You shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. And I think of, when I hear that, I think of the Statue of Liberty, which we have a picture. It looks like that. Statue of Liberty. You know, we, you know I, when I read that verse, every time I think about holding forth the word of life. The quote that, that goes with the Statue of Liberty is, Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. The wretched refuse of your teeming shore, send these, the homeless tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. And that's from a poem written by Emma Lazarus in 1883. But isn't that akin to the hope of Jesus? Tired, poor, yearning to breathe free, homeless, tempest-tossed. Isn't that the light that we offer to people? We offer that kind of hope to people in the gospel of Jesus. So, it's being salty, which is the way we live, our lifestyle, and it is bringing light, which I think is the things that we speak, the spoken words of the gospel. So, wrapping it up with just a few thoughts. We'll never be salt and light by conforming to the world. Again, God doesn't call us to be obnoxious, but He does call us to be different. Salty. Full of light. And again, the whole Sermon on the Mount is based on this premise that we're to be different. A good different. Second, salt and light can make people uncomfortable. And a lot of times at first it does when people get it. You know, it's, it's a, sometimes it's hard for people to hear that, you know, we've offended God. We've done things we shouldn't do because people think, well, yeah, I'm a good person. I'm trying. But reality is we know deep down inside of us there's times we fall short. It's there if we'll get honest. But at first that, that salt kind of bites. That light kind of goes in people's eyes and sometimes they don't like the light in their eyes. 
So that's why, that's why the truth of the gospel always has to be coupled with graciousness in the way that we treat other people. But we, but we, can't, we can't take out the gospel message, which is a call to surrender, to call to come and die. So the gospel is free, but it's never cheap. Never cheap. The third thing I'd like to leave you with is that the emphasis here is on the community of believers as a whole. And I don't want you to read this and hide and say, yeah, the church needs to be salty and the church needs to be light. Well, you and I are the church. You and I make, make up the church. God is counting on us in our circles of influence, in our families, in our workplace, at our school, to shine for Him. And not, and not to bail out through fear or sin or laziness or selfishness. And, and, and being this may call us to be to sacrifice. You know, what does it say here? Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you because of me. You know, if, if, if you're ridiculed or whatever. Now, if, if we took the big picture and we look back through the Bible, people have stood up for God at great cost. I think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter 3 who stood up for God. And, and they said to King Nebuchadnezzar, um, you know, we, we're not going to bow down to your idol. And, and, and if we die, then we die, basically, is what they said. And God spared them. But, but then I read stories from four or 500 years ago in, in Europe where people stood up for their faith, and, and they were burned at the stake by church people because they were trying to change things or do something different. And God didn't spare them. Some of them died. So when we stand up for God, maybe God's going to deliver us, and maybe we'll die. I don't know. I, I don't know what that means. Now, as pastor, that's kind of morbid talking about that. Well, you're probably not going to die for your faith, okay? Just to lay your fears... That's probably, probably, probably nobody's going to take you and burn you at the stake. I just don't think that's probably going to happen. But, but you may be called to remain faithful to God in other ways. Um, to, to love a spouse who's not very kind to you or isn't following God and makes fun of your faith. To speak up in a circle of influence when others are keeping quiet. To, to work on a job as the only Christian there and be ridiculed for your faith. To give of your time and your resources to push yourself out of your comfort zone to care about people who aren't like you, who are different than you. But then you might get to hear things like, hey, I noticed that you didn't strike back at work when that other person criticized you. Why didn't you do that? Or, I watched, you, I watched you walk through love, losing a loved one, and you're not bitter or angry. Why is that? How can you be like that? You know, I met your spouse the other day. They're not very nice, are they? How can you be kind to them? Or I know you've had a tough time with your kids, but you, don't, you, you seem to be able to handle it. How do you handle that? One more quote from George Streaker. 
Inherent in the nature of salt is the fact that it salts. In the nature of a city on a hill, it cannot be hid. In the nature of light, it shines. Inherent in the nature of discipleship are good works. It just, again, if the life of God is in us, I don't think we can quit being salty. And I don't think we can quit being light. I, I, I don't think that is even, is, is even an option. Any more than it is an option to quit breathing. Now, so I'll go back to the beginning. Salt and light give and expend themselves. It is the opposite of self-centeredness. And that's our call for this year. Love God, love people. So as you set your goals, you set your priorities, you think about the things you want to do this year. This is the time we're always thinking about that, what we'll do. You know, okay, exercise more, lose some weight, you know, uh, quit this bad habit, that bad habit, or whatever. Come to church more. You, you got all those things. Think about big picture. How am I going to be salt and how am I going to be light in the place that God has given me? What does it mean for me? What does it mean for me where I work or where I go to school or, or in my family? I, some of us have unsaved loved ones. How are, we, how are we reaching out to them in ways that are going to make it easy for them to come to faith? Not hard. Not hard. So I'm not going to give you any more specifics. I want you to just take that and think about salt and light. What does it mean as you leave today? Think about what does it mean for me to be salt and light in my unique setting? Because every person here is unique. You have a unique family. You have a unique set of friends and neighbors and all this. How am I going to be salt and light to my world? So I promised I'd be a little short. I was a little short. Not much. Sorry. Thank you for being here today. I, 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 I bless you for being here. I had ropes on the outside sections, and we had to open them up, so you uh, exceeded my expectations. Thanks for your efforts. Let's stand for our closing prayer. Let me bless you. As always, if you have questions about your next step in following Christ, or maybe this whole idea of what it means to surrender your life to Christ is a new idea. Love to chat with you about that or anything else in your next step on your faith journey. Father, bless your people as we go forth. May we be very salty for you. May we shine our light for you in ways that are gracious and kind but are full of truth and point people to you. Lord, you're the reason for this season, but you're the reason for the whole year. May we honor you. In Jesus' name, amen.